But see, once you take your collar off, <laughs> take your robe off, and you go to the house, you are not bishop anymore. You herald. When you are not great evangelist Yvette anymore. No, you just Yvette. And it's possible, child of God, for you to be a great man of God at church, to be a great deacon singer, be anointed to the oil just dripping on you. Go home and not have a lick of oil on you because you've learned how to work in God's house, but you haven't learned how to work that anointing in your house. When you at the house, it's, you're not operating as the pastor of the church. You're operating in the anointing of the husband. When you at the house, you're not operating under the anointing of the gift for service in the kingdom as in, in the ministry. When you're at the house, you're operating in the anointings and the unction to function as a mother, as a father. And that's a different kind of anointing. And you got to learn how to function at the house. That if God has put you together, that there is an unction to function in your house, but you got to learn how to work that thing. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be exceedingly glad in it. We have begun a new Bible uh, lesson, a new uh, message series on relationships. And we took a little bit of a break last week because I was ministering at Life of Faith here in Gastonia live. And we're going to pick up, though, this morning on that subject. And I just want you to just kind of allow the Spirit of God to, to get hold of, of your understanding in certain areas. And we're going to make a lot of this extremely practical. Uh, I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. I believe it's going to help and be a blessing to your relationships, be a blessing to your marriages. Uh, I believe that even those that are contemplating uh, whether or not you're looking to get married, I believe this series will actually help you in regards to making that decision as there are a lot of things that we're going to look at that are going to be things that you may need to consider before you say I do. And then, like I said before, there are also some things that you definitely need to consider once you said I do. And so our assignment here is to essentially get into those things that I believe the Spirit of God wants us to, uh, to examine in this marriage series. Now, let me go ahead and start off again the way I left off last, uh, last time indicating to you this little caveat, if you will, that our presupposition for this series is that the Bible is the divinely inspired revelation. We believe that the Bible is divinely inspired revelation, which means God's supernatural book, God's written revelation to his people. Why do I say that? Because the baseline of what we will be discussing in this marriage series comes from the word of God. We believe the Bible is the word of God, Things are settled at what the word says over what maybe your opinion is. We believe that the Bible is authoritative and true. It is a divine revelation through which God speaks. 
It is authoritative and true. That is why we believe that the Bible has final authority in a matter. Where the Bible speaks, that is where the issue should be settled because the training center is about developing people into discipleship whereby they follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that is exactly what we mean, that you are saying, God, you are Lord. That means that you're master of my very life. You're Lord of my life. I submit to you in my actions. I submit to you in my behavior. I submit to you as my, indeed, my king. And we also said that the Bible is a supernatural document, that the Bible has the power to change the reader spiritually. The Bible has the power to change the reader spiritually. And I've said before, understanding this perspective then is important for a life reflecting of his will and empowered to impact positive change within, watch this, our immediate family. And that's where we need to begin. That we are impactful within our immediate family, but we are also impactful within our extended family. You know, it's a crying shame that after you've been with the Lord for any number of years that your own family don't believe that you, you've really been converted because nothing in your actions reflects a life that is submitted to God. That is a terrible indictment. One of the things that's been the biggest blessing to me is having the capability, the capacity to be able to minister on both sides of my family. Because they are able to see a lifestyle that is submitted to God. Now, that doesn't mean that I get it right all the time. But one of the things that we got to understand about the Christian walk is, in fact, that, yes, not getting it right all the time, but having a heart to get it right is something that people see as well. That when you miss it, you don't try to cover it up. When you make a mistake, you admit to it and you say, forgive me in this area. So that they can see a reflectant life of Christ in you. The hope of glory, glory to God. So that what our immediate fame, so empowered to impact positive change within our immediate and our extended family, thus influencing our community. Strong marriages influences our communities. Strong marriages influence our community. You'd be amazed how just a strong marriage right in your immediate neighborhood has a witness to your neighbor. That when they see you operating in the love of God in your house, when they see you operating in the love of God where your husband and your wife is concerned, that it is a witness to people. You'd be amazed how many people are watching how you are behaving to pattern their life after that once they see that you got something working in your life. Again, that's not a, as a point of arrogancy. It's just a point as I, my life, the desire that I have is for my life to be reflectant of my king. Now, so our goal for this series is this, in fact, it is to discover the definition of marriage located from a biblical perspective over opinion or conjecture. I'll be giving you what the word of God says in areas of marriage, and I'm going to keep the opinions down to a very minimum. And in fact, during this teaching, I'm putting all this in the beginning so that you understand where we're coming from. Because as you scroll up and down Facebook, as you look on YouTube, there's a lot of opinion. There's a lot of conjecture. Well, I feel like you ought to do it this way. Well, we feel like you ought to do it that way. Our goal for this particular series is to discover the definition of marriage located from a biblical perspective. So what does the word of God have to say in regards to marriage? What does the word of God have to say in regards to relationships? It is also to glean God's perspective for a for the purpose of marriage and the function of marriage. Why do I say all of these things in the beginning? Because there is, we are in the year 2020, and a lot of people have different definitions for what marriage is. Even here in the state of North Carolina, what a marriage is is defined differently than what the Bible says. And let me be very clear. We are stickling with what the Bible says, how the Bible defines a marriage, and we're not sticking with anything else other than that because we believe that the Bible is a divine revelation, that the Bible is authoritative and true, and it is a spiritual document. If you get that, if you're with me, say amen. 
All right. So having said that, let's get into this teaching on today. So Genesis chapter two, let's begin here. Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two, and we're going to start at verse 18. And the Bible says, out of the King James Version of the Bible, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be all one or alone. I will make him and help meet for him. I will make him and help meet for him. God is the one that determined that it's not good that man should be all one or alone. That everything in creation, uh, manimal-wise, had a partner and God looked and said, I believe that it's not good for this man to be all one. So I'm going to make for him help. I'm going to make a help meet for him. So marriage is God's idea. Let's keep going. And he said out of the ground, verse 19, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought him and brought them unto the Adam, say, see, brought him unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was, um, that, uh, that was the name thereon. So in other words, Adam had a job. Adam had a job. Adam had a purpose prior to him getting a wife. Now watch this. <clears throat> Verse, let's drop down. To verse 21, and the Lord said, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took out, or he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead of, instead thereof. So we see that God pulled the woman out of his side. God pulled the woman out of his side. He did not pull the woman out of his foot. He pulled Help meet, which means help that's proper and suitable for the man. He pulled it out or her out of his side. Now, verse 22, and the rib and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man or from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. He brought her unto the man. Now watch this. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman or one with the womb. The word there literally is ish, ish, the one with the womb because she was taken out of man. Then he says something really interesting. He says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they shall be one flesh. Now, there's something I want to point out right here just in these few passages of Scripture. Did you ever notice that in these few passages of Scripture where God is talking about this first marriage, which is his idea, marriage is God's idea, he never brings up this concept of love. I was looking at this one day and I was like, okay, now, where here does it say that Adam fell in love with Eve? Where here does it say that Eve fell in love with Adam? Is that like not important? What's going on here? Why is this not discussed? But we don't see this thing of love being defined here in these passages of scripture where we see, dare I say, the first marriage, the first wedding that's performed by God, that God brings the woman to the man. Love, now watch this, is an emotion of feeling, but it is also an action that affects our emotions. God never asked Adam, watch this, to fall in love with Eve. I found that to be extremely fascinating. We don't see between Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, or even Genesis chapter 3 after the fall, where Adam says, you know, Eve, I love you. I've fallen in love with you, defined in that way. Adam's love for Eve was, watch this, a result of Adam recognizing that she was his body. She was a part of him. He says, bone of my bone, the first things that he really says to this wife that he has, he says, bone of this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam's love was in recognizing, follow me now, his love for Eve was because she was a part of him. Now, if we understand this concept, now, if we fast forward into Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, it says, where Paul is talking about marriage, he says, For no man yet hate his own flesh, but nourish and cherish it, even as the Lord the church. The word cherish there means to warm, to keep, to foster with tender care. I submit to you, the thing is, the reason why we don't see love defined the way we define it now, per se, in this particular passage of Scripture, is because it's engrafted inside of the fact that when Adam saw his wife, he saw a part of himself. Now, before you get married, you should be whole and complete in and of yourself. But after you get married... She, the woman, becomes a part of you. He, the man, becomes a part of you. Now, as I was studying this out and looking at this, one of the things the Lord brought to my memory is that I remember just as clear as day when I met my wife, when we started being friends. And I remember starting to write in my own journal, I think that I've met the woman that I'll marry. She looks like my wife. Now, at the beginning, that scared me. Because I was just like, okay, now, that's, that's weird. But I started writing that in my journal, and I started looking at her. And, and we weren't, we began purely as friends, and that friendship developed into love. But I remember looking at her and saying, she looks like my wife. Listen to me, child of God. When you start having, this, this is what separates the men from boys, when they start to see that woman as that is my wife, and that's just not somebody I'm trying to sleep with. That's my wife. That's somebody that I honor. That's just not just a piece of meat. This is what separates it out because I see her as a part of me. And the day we said I do before God and in the sight of witnesses, that's when it was complete that now she is a part. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now watch this out of verse 29, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, uh, the Amplified, it says, For no one ever hates his own body, but instead nourish and protect and cherish it, just as Christ does the church. He says, nourish, protect, and cherish. So Adam recognizes in his wife that she is a part of me. And since she's a part of me, I'm going to nourish her, I'm going to protect her, and I'm going to cherish her just like I would my own body. Are y'all following me? Marriage begins with the recognition that we are a part of each other. So that means I choose to love you as I love myself is the mentality of a successful marriage. I choose to love you as I love myself is the mentality of a successful marriage. You know, when I do premarital counseling, that's what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for the mentality. When I sit across the table or, you know, these days even when you do it on Zoom or you do it on FaceTime, dear God, what I'm listening for out of the couple that are saying we are looking to get married is do I hear the shift in mentality? The shift in mentality that is not just about me anymore. That's why he says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Marriage, therefore, is the death of selfishness for the union of selflessness. Let me say that again. Marriage is the death of selfishness for the union of selflessness. I treat, I am to treat my spouse like I treat myself. The word selfish there literally means devoted to caring only for oneself. It means concerned primarily with one's interests, benefit, and welfare. You know, 
I've said this before. I remember I was at one wedding and I hadn't planned on saying this, but it just came out of my spirit. I said to the couple, we are standing here and I'm standing in this black. And it is at the same time that I'm doing a wedding, I'm doing a funeral simultaneously. The funeral is the death of your selfishness, your individuality. Now, don't get me wrong. You got different personalities bringing up, bringing together. What we're talking about is spiritually. That your concern is no longer from this day on only about you. If you're planning on your marriage being successful, if you're planning on your marriage working, today we're going to have to have the same time we're having a celebration for the union of this marriage. We're also having a funeral for your individual selfishness. That from this day on, you cannot be devoted to caring only for yourself or concerned primarily with one's own interest, benefit, and welfare. Marriage does not work that way. And, and, and reality is when you start looking and examining where we have marriage failures, you do, let me even just say it like this. When you look at areas where we got into areas of, 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 of adultery in a marriage, somebody had to not be concerned about the other person in order to get into this area of adultery. Now, don't get me wrong that adultery a lot of times is the result of many things that are taking place that weren't right inside of the marriage. At its core, when you boil it right down to it, where did it begin? It began with something happening. There was a break between the selfishness and selflessness. Do I have a concern for my spouse over and above even myself? Well, I hear some of you saying, well, I can't do that, man. If I do that, man, how, how am I going to get my needs met? Well, see, how it's supposed to work is that your husband has a concern about your needs. Your wife has a concern about your needs. And if you do that and you do it correctly, everybody's needs gets met. That's what it means to be selfless. It means having little or no concern for oneself. My concern is for you and your concern is for me. This is how we are both covered. My concern is for you. Your concern is for me. I, I got it. So I should be concerned with what's going on in and with my wife. And she in turn should be concerned in and what's going on with me. Now, it's unique that God has made us so that, you know, that largely men need sex. <laughs> and we are to go to our wife. Well, women are equipped on the other side with having an emotional needs that men also must need. Now, when you put the two together, you have a holistic relationship. But now by the same balance, men can't be holding out the romance in areas of, of doing things that would be emotionally stimulating inside of marriage. And women can't be holding out in areas of sexual relationship. Now, if you are both looking to serve each other, then everybody's needs gets met. Marriage, therefore, is God's intent for marriage was designed also for his participation. I want you to notice that, that the Bible said that God brought the man, the woman to the man. It was God's idea. God said it's not good for man to be alone or all one. So he said, I'll make help for him. So it's God's idea. And this is prior to the fall, which means that they were already walking in relationship with God. Adam was walking in relationship with God. He had a job. He had a purpose before he met his wife. And then when his wife came into the picture, she was a part of God's purpose, his will as well. So God never intended for your marriage to be absent of his presence. It's his idea, it's his concept, and his design is for him to be at the core or at the center of your marriage. Now watch this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in verse 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 12. And it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he has no 
not another to help him up. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12, now if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And watch this, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God has always intended for marriage to have him at the core. Now watch this. When you have two people that are interested in serving each other and they're interested in serving God first, how in the world do you end up in the area of divorce? Because there was a break somewhere between the relationship with God. There was somewhere in the relationship between each other and serving each other that there is a breakdown in the marriage situation or the marriage condition in the house. Now, I want you to notice something because I saw this and I feel, I sense this in my spirit. See, some people say, you know, okay, they think that just because you are a preacher that you are immune to this. Working your marriage is something everybody got to do. I don't care who you are. This is why you hear of preachers getting divorced, preachers in adultery, preachers in areas of sin, because everybody's going to have to work this area of their marriage. There is no special anointing that you get as a preacher inside of your marriage. Everybody gets the same oil. The gifts and callings are without repentance. In other words, he doesn't change his mind concerning the call of God that's on your life. But that's the call of God to be able to stand in the area or the office of ministry that he's called you to do to perform, to unction, to function in that position. But see, once you take your collar off, <laughs> take your robe off, and you go to the house, you are not bishop anymore. You herald. When you are not great evangelist Yvette anymore. No, you just Yvette. And it's possible, child of God, for you to be a great man of God at church, to be a great deacon singer, be anointed to the oil. It's just dripping on you. Go home and not have a lick of oil on you because you've learned how to work in God's house, but you haven't learned how to work that anointing in your house. I'm preaching better than you responded. There ain't no special anointing when you get home. Everybody has the same stuff because it would be unfair of God to give the bishop a special anointing for when he's at home versus the anointing that, that Jimmy has when he's at his house. We all, when you get home, and see, this is the difference. This is where we got to come to grips with this reality. When you get home, we got still, we still got to be husband and wife. We still, the church is God's work. The church is God's, God's wife. <laughs> but when you get home, you got to take care of your wife. When you get home, you got to take care of your husband. You got to be attentive to your house. You got to hear the spirit of God and how to deal inside of your house. And the issue is a lot of times is that we seek God for what to do at church, but we do not seek him for what we are supposed to do at our house. And this is the key to a successful marriage that we got to work it. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was in college and I was, me and my, my, my wife now, we were moving into this area of a deeper relationship. One of the things that I began to see, I said, I remember the time I said to my roommate, man, it's like my superpowers don't work with her. And we see we call the anointing, you know, just jokingly our superpowers. I'm like, because I can go over here and teach Bible study and fill the oil and, and I can get a discernment. I say, oh, God is speaking and he's saying this. And I go over and, and, I, and I meet with her and, 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 and she say something and it, it, get, it hurt me a little bit. Or she say something and it, it'd be a little different. And I remember saying, I understood that at the time. I said, my superpowers don't seem to work with her. And, and that's the thing. When you at the house, it's, you are not operating as the pastor of the church. You're operating in the anointing of the husband. When you at the house, you're not operating under the anointing of the gift for service in the kingdom as in, in the ministry. 
when you're at the house, you're operating in the anointings and the unction to function as a mother, as a father. And that's a different kind of anointing. And you got to learn how to function at the house. That if God has put you together, that there is an unction to function in your house, but you got to learn how to work that thing. You got to learn how to hear God when he's telling you, check your pride at the door and go see what's going on with your husband. Check your pride at the door and stop giving the silent treatment. Check your pride at the door and stop doing these things because it's hurting her. And the issue is a lot of men and women of God cover up with the fact, well, I'm the great anointed man or woman of God. Yes, but at the house, you are a husband. You are a wife. Okay. All right. Praise God. I don't know how we got all the way out there, but praise God, we needed it. Now. Let's look at this. There are four types of love. We're only going to look at the three really quick, and I'm going to go over this at another point in time. There is the close friendship or brotherly love, Philadelphia or phileo. There's the eros love, which is the sexual, the erotic love and or desire. And then, of course, there's this last one that we're going to discuss, which is the agape which is the highest, the most perfect kind of love because it's unconditional. Now watch this. A good and healthy marriage must have all, at least these three, because the first one really is the love between you and the Father God. But you need to have the friendship love. You need to have the sexual, erotic, and desire love in operation in your marriage. And then you also need to have unconditional love in operation in your marriage. Now, let me say this because I sense this in my spirit. The sexual, erotic love and desire, that is the fire in your relationship. You are the steward of this sexual, erotic desire, love in your relationship. This Keeping the passions alive inside of your marriage is something that you, inside of marriage, you got to make sure that you are a steward of that. That you are constantly doing things and working on keeping that area alive in your marriage. And you also got to be the steward of making sure that you two remain friends. Part of being good friends, and she should be your best friend. He should be your best friend. That's why the two of you should cleave to each other. And he says, the scriptures declare that you leave mama and you leave daddy, which means that there should be no one on earth more important to you and has more pull or influence in your life other than your spouse, more than your spouse. That should be, it should be God, and then it should be your spouse. You are the steward of keeping the friendship alive through communication in your house. You are the steward of making sure that the sexual and the erotic desire stays alive in your house. And you are also the steward of this unconditional love inside of your house. And God will help you in every single one of these areas. A lot of people think, well, you know, particularly, you know, we're getting better about that, thank God. But one generation, we thought that, you know, the friendship, yeah, the unconditional, okay. But the sexual erotic part, we like, you know, God ain't in that. It was God's idea for sex. It's God's concept for sex. So God, if you will allow him to be your counselor, to be your guide, to be the one that helps you in this marriage, to be that threefold cord. Now watch this. He will help you in the area of making sure that you keep a burning passion for each other. But you have to be submissive to God to allow that to be the case. All right. All right. Praise God. <clears throat> now. But let's look at my assignment is to look at this area of agape, unconditional love, agape, agape love. Now, let's go, if we will, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. We're not going to get through all of it on this teaching, but we're going to wake up. We're going to make our way through each part of this as I believe the spirit of God will be 
guiding us. This is the passage of scripture that is preached, taught, ministered at a lot of weddings. We go straight to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's the chapter that speaks specifically about this area of agape love. Now, I want you to notice here in the King James Version, it defines love. It says, uses the word charity. That word charity literally is translated as agape. Unconditional, the highest and the most perfect kind of love. It says, the word says, charity or agape suffers long. The English Standard Version of the Bible says it like this. It says, love is patient. So, suffers long is patient. The first thing in the definition of this agape, the highest, the most perfect kind of love, unconditional love, is patience. Long suffering. So if I am going to have a successful marriage, agape love is a part of the love that I got to operate in. Now, this kind of love, see again, we're not talking about here emotional love. We're talking about the choice of love that I choose to operate in this highest, most perfect kind of love, unconditional love where my spouse is concerned. It's a choice that I make daily to operate in this first area right here that we're discussing for this teaching in this area of patience. Now, what is patience? <clears throat> it is the ability to wait, to continue doing something despite difficulties, to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is the ability to wait. It is the ability to continue to do something despite difficulties. It is the ability to suffer without complaining or being coming annoyed. I choose then to operate in this area of agape love, which is I choose to be patient with my spouse. Now, it's interesting to me that, you know, before you got married, you had a lot of patience, but Sometimes if we are not careful, we'll lose patience with our spouse inside of marriage. You had a lot of patience when you were trying to get her. A lot of patience when he was courting you. But once you said, I do, and you had a couple kids, all of a sudden, you ain't got enough time. You ain't got enough patience for each other. That's something that you must cultivate on purpose. Again, when we're talking in this area of agape love, we're talking in regards to I choose to love you. I choose to agape you in my house. This is what we're talking about in regards to learning how to operate in the anointing, in the function of ministry in my house as the ministry of a husband, the ministry of a wife, the ministry of being this one flesh. So I choose, the first thing he says is to suffer long, or I choose to love in patience. Now watch this. This word patience, if you look at the opposite of the word patience, this is what you'll find. Intolerant. Impatient. Another opposite of the word patient is whiny. Whiny. It is the word rash. It is the word frustrated. These are just a few of the opposites of the word patience. Now, how can I be a patient person and I'm a whiny person? Or I'm a nagging person? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. How can I be a patient person when I'm continuously frustrated with my husband or frustrated with my wife? Did I say what I'm saying is easy? No. This is the reason why we started with the premise. This requires the aid of the Holy Ghost. It requires the aid of a consistent leaning on God to be able to cultivate this in your life and particularly in your marriage. 
that that's the opposite of being patient is whining. The opposite of being patient is being rash. Now watch this. The synonym of the word patient is tolerant. I tolerate. When you love someone, you tolerate some stuff. Now you believe in God, maybe some areas for them to change, but there's a lot of stuff that it suffers. That's why the King James used the word, it suffers long. <laughs> Another word or synonym is forbearing, understanding. It is accommodating. It's easygoing. Now notice if you are to your spouse a tolerant, forbearing, understanding, accommodating, and easygoing spouse, you know how the climate inside of your house would change? That, yeah, yeah, there's some areas that we got to fix, but I start with my prayer life first with God, that the complaints or the issues that I have with my spouse, I take them to God. I take them to God and I say, God, I need this area fixed in my marriage. And God, what he will usually do is say, this is what you need to do first, and then I'm working on him or I'm working on her, and you just wait on me. But in the process, he says, be tolerant. In the process, he, be, he says, be forbearing. In the process, he says, be understanding. In the process, he says, be accommodating. In the process, he says, be easygoing. Now watch this. The Greek word literally means to be patient, which means bearing the offenses and injuries of others. It is that Greek word there literally means when it talks about when it says suffer long or patient, it literally is translated is bearing the offenses and the injuries of others. I'm patiently dealing with this. I'm not condemning you. I know that you are walking with your walk with God. I'm walking with my walk with God. And I know as we continue to lean on him first, God will help us be able to work this out. And I'm patient with you because I know that you are a work in progress. And so am I. It means, watch this, slow in avenging. It means slow in anger. It means slow to punish. Let me say that again. That Greek word literally is translated slow in avenging. I'm not looking to get you back. A tick for tat. You did this, so I cut you. You cussed me, I cuss you. You are the steward of the climate in your marriage. It is slow to anger. Sometimes where you just hear God say, okay, I know your spouse is responding this way. He says, but respond that way. But Lord, you hear what, you hear what she said? Lord, you hear what he said? Yeah, right, right. God says, slow up. Be slow to anger. And you know, that takes patience on yourself. That takes time to develop and cultivate that in your marriage. That you're slow to anger. That you're not just so reactionary. Here you go. She says something, here you go flying off. He says something, here you go flying off. But I'm slow to anger against my spouse. Because we are in this together. We are not in opposition. Let me say this. <clears throat> and this is part of the reason why when people say that's the opposite sex when they're referring to your spouse... I never like that because the word opposite in the word opposite is the word opposed, that we are opposed to each other. My opposing sex is another man. We got the same equipment. It don't go together. It, it doesn't fit unless you are using it improperly as God didn't design. We are not, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't go together. Your, uh, your spouse is your correspondent sex. Because everything about her corresponds with what you are. Everything. God designed the woman, the one with the womb, that her body is in correspondence with the male's body. That everything was properly made to be able to deal with each other in a corresponding rhythm that is his within his creation. All right, we'll talk about that later. It is slow to punish. Now let's look at a couple of scriptures really quick as I close. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 2. 
I'm going to read this out of the voice translation and amplified uh, for the sake of the way it's written. And watch this. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, live a life that is worthy of the calling he has graciously extended to you. Now watch this, verse two. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, tolerant, tolerate, I'm sorry, one another in an atmosphere thick with love. In an atmosphere thick where he says, be patient, tolerate one another in an atmosphere thick with love. If I'm going to create an atmosphere in my house, to be a house of agape, that means that I'm going to have to be a person that is patient and a person that is tolerant of my spouse. I'm tolerant of their growth. I'm tolerant of their ability to make mistakes. I'm tolerant because I'm rooting for them to become the best person that God has intended for them to be. And I don't mean tolerant of foolishness. And watch this. <laughs> Proverbs 14, verse 29, out of the voice translation. Let me read this over at the King James really quick. He says, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Now, the voice translation reads it this way. It says, whoever is patient and slow to anger shows great understanding. But whoever has a quick temper magnifies his foolishness. Patient and slow shows great understanding. Understanding what? Your relationship vertically with God? Understanding of what? You are to walk in agape love where your spouse is concerned. That you're supposed to really walk in agape love where all Christians are concerned. And your spouse is your brother or your sister in the Lord as well. Whoever is patient and slow to anger shows they display a great understanding. Quit going around talking about how spiritual you are and watch this. And you quick temper you and you magnify foolishness all the time. Because you are showing that you're not patient and you are showing that you don't have great understanding. Let's keep going. Proverbs 15 and verse 18 it says, a hot tempered man stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow. Man, it seems like, patient again, that I'm slow to anger. He says a hot-tempered man stirs up, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. You should watch your temper in your house. Watch how you talk to each other in your house. Does this take a level of practice to perfect it? Absolutely. Because a lot of times what happens is because you spot so close to you, you'll say things to them that you wouldn't say to somebody up the street. And if you don't watch the way you say things, it can come off very sharp to your spouse. And you're stirring up strife in your home. He says, but he who is slow to anger and patient, watch this, calms disputes. Can't be so hot-tempered all the time. Flying off all the time. Because your temper, if you don't get hold of that area of your emotions in your life, it will continuously stir up strife in your house. A soft answer, the scripture says, turns away wrath. Old folks used to say it like this, you can catch more honey, more bees with honey. That you should be continuously mindful of not just what you're saying to your spouse, but how you're saying it. You say, well, well, they are not took it that way. Well, if they are taking it in an offensive way and they are communicating that it's offensive to them, then it is something from your love. You need to hear and communicate that, okay, if it's hurting you, then it's concerning me. Because my concern for my spouse is I'm concerned about her, her needs and the rhythms of what's going on on the inside of her. And she's concerned about me, my needs and the rhythms of what's going on on the inside of me. So I'm not going to be hot tempered and I'm not looking to stir up strife in my house. Proverbs 16 and verse 32, it says, it is better to be a patient man 
still out of the voice, than a mighty warrior because, oh, I'm sorry, better to be someone who, watch this, controls his anger than someone who conquers a city. Better to be someone who controls, I'm sorry, controls his temper than someone who conquers a city. It, again, we can put it in context uh, 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 like this, and I think we'll be okay, that you can conquer the city in the name of Jesus as the bishop. Conquer the city in the name of Jesus as the, the prophetess and, 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 and be, be exalted by all kind of folks outside of your house. But inside of your house, you are a person that is not patient. Inside of your house, you don't know how to control your temper. And as anointed as you are down the street at the church, your wife or your husband is staring at you and they're saying, well, I don't, why is it that the Jesus you talk about down there at the church don't seem to come home with you? And unfortunately, that's the reason why a lot of folks, ministry, men, women of God spend a lot of time down at the church because at the church, you operating in that anointing because you hadn't learned how to operate in the anointing of the husband or the anointing of the spouse, of the wife. Glory be to God. The next thing it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is love is kind. It says it right out the patient. So if love is patient and slow to anger, and then he goes right behind it and say, why? Because love is kind. Which is kind? It's generous, helpful, thinking about other, the other, or other person's feelings. Agape love. The anointing of love operating in your house has to be the unconditional love. That is me and you. God did not pull your wife out of your foot. She's not, she is subordinate or submissive to you, but God says it is as if it is after you are submissive to me. After, so the order is God, we're both submitted to God. And God says, as an order of rank in the house, he says, I hold this man responsible, the husband, the one that binds the house together. I hold you responsible for making sure that you continuously seek me for your family and the direction of your house. And your wife is there to help you in the mission and what you've called the family to do. And so making sure that we stay together in a partnership, making sure that we stay together, work together, shoulder to shoulder, is something that doesn't just happen. It is something that we are intentional about doing. We have to resist the devil. And then he'll flee from us, not invite him to have dinner with us while we're eating our chicken. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. That means you together. Now you're one flesh. So both of you should be resisting the devil in your house shoulder to shoulder. And the devil knows this because you have inside of your marriage, inside of your covenant marriage, you also have this power of agreement. That you can come together and touch in agreement concerning an area. And the Bible says, it shall be done. So what does the devil do? He makes sure that you stay in an area of strife. Because he knows that when you are in an area of agreement, nothing will be impossible to you and your house. Because you kept God first and your agreement is first to do his will. Amen. Amen. We'll pick up here on next week we're gonna thoroughly go through each one of these and look at it and examine it and i believe it's gonna be good and i want to i want you to join me next week as well but let's pray father in the authority of the name of jesus god i give you praise i give you glory i lift up every every marriage every couple that's assigned to hear this message lord i pray that as they decide to submit to you to your will, to your leading, to your guidance, to your checking of their pride. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their marriage, strengthen their covenant that they have between each other, strengthen their relationship. That as they check pride at the door 
and they submit to your will, submit to your direction, submitting to your guidance, God, I pray that you would strengthen them in their marriage. I give you praise for it, and I give you glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Listen, I want you to join me here next week. We're going to continue to get into this. I'm going to take my time. I, I, I feel more of the teaching anointing for this particular series. And so I'm going to spend my time just teaching this because, again, you know, I can hoop this, but you're not going to learn from that. This church is called the Training Church, the Training Center, I'm sorry, on purpose because that is our goal to develop people that are submitted to the will of God. Disciples that are submitted to God. And so that is our heart, that is our vision, that you know God's word, you perceive his voice, and you're able to communicate his heart. Well, what does that mean to communicate his heart? That means to be reflective of his glory, not just out there, but also in your house. God wants to use your marriage as a ministry to others to be a blessing to them. But we got to learn how to operate in the anointing that God has given for this covenant relationship. Am I saying, is Pastor Smith saying that his marriage is perfect? No. My marriage, we are pursuing perfection. We got areas we're still working on, just like everybody else. As I'm ministering this, I'm ministering also to myself, because that's what the word does. It cut, it's a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And I, I'm just, I'm honest enough to say that. See, this is one of the things we got to do as ministry gifts, is beyond to say, yeah, we all are growing. We all are growing. We all are growing as husbands. We're growing as wives. And it doesn't matter if you've been married two years, two months, 20 years, 30 years. You are still growing, learning each other, developing. And the thing is, if you do God's process, it really does make you better. God's the one that said, it's not good for you to be all one, which means what my wife brings to the table. What my husband brings to the table is good for me. Amen. I'm, 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 let me stop here again. On the screen, you see a couple ways in which you can give into the training center. You see, uh, you can give by way of our PO box number, by way of also of the cash app, and lastly, by way of our online, uh, our online website. All three are available and open for you to uh give as the Lord directs you to sow into this ministry. We are definitely in prayer about our next steps. We are believing God for soon, 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 we'll be able to meet again as a church family. Listen, get hold of these teachings. Even if you're single and you believe in God to get married, I want you to get hold of these teachings. I believe they're going to be good. They're going to be something that, man, if, you, if you're single, man, put it on the shelf. Say, okay, because the Bible says he that found it for a wife, found it for a good thing, which means that you had to be a wife when he found you. The mentality is shifted. The mentality is shifted. That I am looking to become somebody's help. I'm looking for, to become, I, I'm holding myself between with my relationship with God. But when I get married, I'm looking for the person that I can help. We can come together shoulder to shoulder and fulfill the will of God collectively. You believe in God to get married. I believe these are going to be good teachers for you as well. If you are in a position in which you are believing to get married and you're in a relationship, you, I believe you're going to figure out whether or not this is the right one or not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So but we'll see you next week before I get off into something else. Because this is just so heavy in my spirit. And I believe this is going to be a great series. Till next time, Jesus is Lord. We'll see you then. God bless.